Four and a half out of five men would rather start a podcast than go to therapy. Here are two and a half of them now. It's Morning Radio TBD with Fitz in the Tree. <laughs> that statistic may unfortunately be a little too close to the truth. <laughs> uh, I, I forget what I was reading. Some uh, It was a quote somewhere. It was I think it was like uh, Gen Alpha. Or the younger members of Gen Z, uh, the the uh, the women of those generations are being asked um, <laughs> what what would make men more attractive. <laughs> Someone literally gave the answer in some viral thread. They need to start fewer podcasts and uh, start more jobs, or something along those lines. I was like, <laughs> oh, that is a shot across the bow. <laughs> Well, it's uh, yeah. Un- unfortunately, I guess podcasting and, and streaming is an, a- a- another outlet for men to spout their unwanted opinions. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's true, um, and uh, you know we're to a degree uh, <clears throat> contributing to that, I suppose. But um, you know what what uh, what can you do? We're just going to keep giving our opinions, man. That's all we, we are. Do. We are going to keep giving our opinions. I know. I, I, I like to think that we're a little more uh, uh, nuanced, I, I guess. I like to think that we, we exercise a degree of nuance. Uh, we try. We yeah. try a little bit. Uh, it's not going to get us that Joe Rogan money, though. It really is not. No, it's not until we lean hard into uh, really like opinionated opinions. That's, that's, I mean, it's what people want to hear. They want to hear conflict. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Is that why you're back to your nuke Mars hat today? I mean, I'm. I, I feel like I'm always one step away from wanting to nuke Mars. So, um, you know, I'm actually. Look, to be honest, if I'm if I'm being if I'm being perfectly frank, I'm in a good mood today. Like I, uh, I spent part of this weekend at the Highland Games, which was um, an absolute blast, and uh, has me like all jazzed up about my um, athletic training again. And and uh, I, in all sincerity, I'm like, you know what? I think I might try and compete in uh, the Highland Games um, next year. Well, uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? Okay, so there are, it's basically strongman events, um, but with a, like a focus on power and technique. So gather ye round the lamplight, everybody. We're going we're gonna to have a little quick story time here. So Scotland traditionally was a uh, subjugated nation of England, right? England very much had its thumb on Scotland. Some of them might argue they still are, but yeah. I well, it's it, it's it is. I, I agree that that based that on that like resolution that comes up every few years about like breaking away, breaking away. I I know, and and Scotland has now voted to like remain as a a united uh, a united entity with um, England. And actually, like thinking of it geopolitically, it would almost be like if the United States had uh, former subjugation over Canada. And do we think that like Canada would, um, if, if a referendum came up, would they break up with their largest like economic driver? Cause like Scotland just doesn't have as much in terms of an economy as England does England only if, because they have London, which is you know one of the largest cities in the world and, and is a massive commerce state. So um, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little, yeah, it's, it's a complicated issue. Yeah. It's a complicated issue. It is. Um, so anyway, uh, Scotland has um, in the past been a state of England. And uh, during 
the like the halcyon era of the Highlanders, which was you know. Uh, kind of exiting the Ulster cycle um, around like the age of the the like the traditional Viking raiders um, up to until about the 1600s. So for about five six hundred years, from like 900 to 1600, which that's 700 years. But we established last week. I can't do math. Um, <laughs> uh, the the peoples of Scotland were subjugated by England and they they were always pushing back against that there were there were a number of fights for Scottish independence um, and each time England took uh, more and more severe actions against the people of Scotland to keep them subjugated so what the Highlanders did in order to prepare for battle and keep themselves in shape for battle but not look like they were actually doing military training was they organized these things every year called the Highland Games and uh, these games used feats of strength that were actually battlefield appropriate um, and, and might mimic something that you would do on the battlefield. But to anybody looking from the outside, it just looked like, you know, a bunch of big jagaloons throwing heavy things around. And so that was the way that they kept their, their strength training basically secret from, uh, from the, the British Empire, um, but still kept themselves very much in, in fighting shape. So there's a, a, a number of different events, um, the most famous of which is the caber toss, uh, which is where you literally take a, um, a, a, a stick is the best way I can put it. It's a, just a big branch that they cut off a tree and you heave it into the air as high as you can. And the goal is to make it do a complete turn. Okay, and what, so not like a javelin throw. Not a javelin throw. No, no, no. Okay. Um, no, the caber is like, well, so here's what the caber did is in ancient battlefields, you had a lot of ditches and trenches. Caber throwers would, like, heave these gigantic logs out into the battlefield so that there were paths across those ditches. So it was easier oh, okay. for their, their warriors to cross. But so, it was just kind of like a... It was just a branch. And hopefully you... Yep. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to hold that tree over there. Yep. That. Exactly. Yep. You nailed it. Um... So there's there's the caber toss. There is uh, there's weight over bar um, or, or weight for height, um, depending on uh, you know it's, they they name the naming conventions a little inconsistent, but like it was you have to take a fifty pound weight with one hand and heave it as high as you can, and the idea is you want to hit above a ten foot, then an eleven foot, then a twelve foot pole on like the amateur end. The professionals can throw a fifty pound weight much higher, which is truly insane. Uh, there's weight for distance. Um, divided into two classes. One is just a uh, 50-pound weight. Again, one arm, throw it as far as you can. The next one's a 28-pound weight. That sucker goes far. Uh, you got to be careful if you're watching that one because those 28-pound weights might come at you in the audience. So you got to <laughs> you nice. got to be paying attention. Um, hammer throw, which is you know it's a traditional uh, Olympic event. Um, there is uh, like the I forget what it's called, like the stone toss or something. It's just picking up a big fucking rock and throwing it as far as you can. Atlas carries picking up a big rock and walking with it. Um, so, oh, and a really funny one called the sheaf toss, which is literally a pitchfork into a sheaf or a bit like a small bale of hay. And how high can you throw it into the air? Oh, that that sounds like a that one makes the most sense to me. That one I can easily like I'm pretty sure everybody down on the farm just did that for fun. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, the Highland Games. It's just it's it's uh, feats of of strength and technique. It is, and from what I understand, like if you're just a traditional strongman, you can get pretty far in the Highland Games, but you can be outdone by smaller people uh, who have a better sense of technique. Now, obviously, the the goal is to be like fucking gigantic and have good technique. And uh, you see a couple of those guys out there every once in a while. It's, I mean, like Middle Tennessee Highlander Games. It's pretty niche, right? Like you're not going to see like necessarily the best in the world, but you do see some really, really good, awesome competitors. And um, we saw some fun stuff this weekend. And does it just it just keeps going until there's only like one left? So um, everybody uh, like your your events all get measured in some way or another. Right. So like how high did you throw weight, weight for height? How far did you throw weight for distance? Um, and the idea is that they crown a best overall athlete at the end of the day. And so whoever scores highest most often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I'm pretty sure there can be only one. There can be only one. That's correct. Yes, that's that is the rule of Highlanding. You know what uh, always drives me nuts? I never hear about the Lowlanders. <laughs> That's because the lowlanders um, were largely uh, uh, like in in bed with the English. Like they were they were completely oh. cool with English rule, um, and uh, they they actually held a very so the lowlanders were the people of Scotland who were like the oftentimes the royalty lived in the lowlands, and right. um, the very like affluent and well to do, and they were very okay with being connected to. Uh, to the the crown. Um, oh, so it's not just geographically; it's uh, law of character. <laughs> I I mean, it, it depends on who you ask, because they'll say quite the opposite. The Highlanders were often seen as this kind of like barbarous and um, much more uh, uh, like almost caveman esque antique, like you know, tribal ways. Um, yeah, because it was all about your clans. Right, which even the word clan means child of, um, and so uh, it was it, it was a different way of saying like family, and you know everybody knows like mock, you know like the the, the mock Donalds and all that. M A C was an abbreviation, or not an abbreviation. It was a, a, a like it was an attachment to another name that meant son of. So like the very one of the very first clans might have been like the Donald clan. And then uh, the, the family that came from them would have been the sons of Donald, which would have been the Muck Donalds. And McDonald's. yeah, there's there's uh, what is it for daughter of? I think it's like um, sin or something like that. I got to look it back up. But anyway, yeah, it's all it's they, they were loosely organized um, families that uh, uh had kind of their own traditions, their own music, their own storytelling, just their own way and culture. And it was something that the British really tried to crush. So would you say the Mandalorians are almost like Scottish Highlanders? Uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, wow. Maybe a little more sophisticated, but certainly uh, that's a really cool take. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's... I'd have to go back and, and watch Mandalorian with that sort of uh, emphasis in my mind. But yeah. I think that's you know the uh, that that's fair to say. You need to go back and watch like all the Mandalorian episodes of Clone Wars, oh, Rebels, yeah. Rebels, yeah, Mandalorian, exactly. Um, well, I I I have been going down a Scottish rabbit hole lately and just really learning my my Scottish history and um and by lately I don't mean like since going to the Highlander games I mean like for the last like month or two and uh, a part of me really wants to write a um, space opera. Uh, called New Caledonia, and it basically be a retelling of Scottish history, but through um, like space raiders. I like that. That could be yeah. fun. Let's get yeah. the Scottish people back in space. 
Yeah, exactly. But in like a good, like really Scottish way, not just a, I can't do it, Captain, sort of way. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not, not quite like that. Correct. Correct. It's very apropos you're wearing your Nuke Mars hat because I came across a an article that I thought was particularly interesting to you. Okay. Um, a NASA scientist is claiming that uh, there was probably life on Mars when they when we first went there in like the seventies or whenever, and that we probably killed it. Go on. <laughs> so they did. Um, when the landers got there, they did some testing on like the soil, right, and whatever, and they did this test uh, to see if if like these little like microbes or whatever would respond to water. Okay, uh, and they didn't, and so they're like, oh, okay. But decades later, <laughs> this guy is like, well, it's kind of like you know, it's like saying someone is thirsty, so you throw them in the ocean. That's kind of what we did. Oops. <laughs> on Mars. So this could have been some sort of life form, and we just did what humans do best. We, we just we snuffed it, it right out. Okay, so so when you say life on Mars, I, I was assuming that you meant, like, microbial life. I, I was yeah. assuming you didn't mean necessarily we found, like, it turns out that Mars attacks or maybe, um, you know, like the people of Barsoom were not necessarily waiting for us there. Um, no. And we we killed them. No, we we accidentally drowned microbes. Yes. Okay. Yes. For well, the, the for the purposes of analogy to make it right, dumbed down, and easy to understand. Yes. Yep. yep. Well, that's so, that's unfortunate. It might have been the last <laughs> remaining life form on Mars, and we killed. Well, and because I, I do remember the um, like the the big revelation that yes, there was in fact life on Mars, and I remember those headlines. And then uh, it was very quickly very anticlimactic when it turned out, um, <laughs> it was like we're talking about like little wiggly worms in the rocks um, that are you know smaller than a hair. I mean, that's still cool to me. I mean, I think it's cool. I think the rest of the world was waiting for uh, flying saucers to come out from underneath the surface, or you know. The tripods. You're looking for sentient life on Mm -hmm. Mars. Sentient life on Mars with some sort of analogous level of technology and civilization. Right. And it's like, it's one of the things that I, uh, in the sci-fi novel I I just wrote, Chasing Andromeda, I debate a little bit, which is um, the idea that life in the universe is um, statistically a certainty, right? Like, yes, there is absolutely life elsewhere in the universe. There's got to be. There has to be. It's, it is a statistic certainty. Intelligence elsewhere in the universe becomes a little bit more of a, a quibbling point. And that, that is um, categorically likely more rare. Um, and space is divided by such vast, vast differences that people can't even fucking comprehend um, that the idea of us ever running into another intelligent civilization or slim to none. Well, in the intelligence by what we define it as. That's also an excellent point. Yeah. So yeah. it's... There's there's probably super space bees out there. That, sure, you know, but we would look at it and go, oh, that looks like a bee. We think bees are stupid, and never. I mean, it's it, that's the eternal question of the the xenomorph, right? Like, how intelligent are they? I would like to apologize to bee enthusiasts that are listening to this podcast. We know bees are not stupid. Bees are not stupid. No, bees are no. bees are quite intelligent. They're very clever and uh, industrialist, and uh, we stand the bees. We stand bees. Yeah. Protect the bees, actually. 
Bees are in danger. Uh, bees are a big problem right yeah. now, actually. And I was recently, this this past week, I swear I didn't set this up to be a tangent, but here we are. <laughs> here um, we are. I came across an article. Uh, I was reading this on theringer.com. Okay. But it was talking about uh, America's bee problem. Interesting. And yeah. What's kind of cool is we've known for a while that bees are, um, they're fading away. They're, yes. they're dying out. And um, that's especially problematic. But you have a lot of bee farmers where their job, their job is not just like these bee farms and like, you know, producing honey and all that stuff. Correct. It is like they take these bees to different parts of the country mm-hmm. to go pollinate yes. these, these crops and everything. And it's insane. But this actually is part of like what can k- kill off the bees. Oh, the, like the travel? Not the tra- It's not the travel part, but it's like if they are basically they catch a disease. They can oh. catch a disease from these different Got it. Uh, crops. And then you have to like cull your hives and all this stuff if they manage to catch these like funguses or, or whatever Got from it. the fucking almond crop. Yep. Uh, I, but I was like, this is weirdly fascinating. It's something that you, you don't you don't really hear about, but bees are essential until someone comes up with the idea of mass producing robot bees. <laughs> um, but it's they are essential to our future, you know, food supply and whatnot. And they're dying out. Well, and to, to tie it back to our little Scottish section right at the beginning, um, importance of bees, there is a Scottish liqueur called Drambui uh, that is made from a very particular um, uh, honey uh, that comes only from bees that uh, pollinate the um, heather flowers in the highlands once a year. And so this very particular flavor of honey can only be uh, acquired after these bees have done their their pollination journey up to the highlands to to pollinate these heather flowers, and then when they come back and they start making their honey, that's what's used to make drambuie. It is something that like, if you see it, it's like nobody's gonna be able to see this because we're not doing video yet. But a, like a little bottle like this big is about thirty bucks, and it's because it's so um, niche in the way that it's created. But that's that's just a small thing. And then what you're talking about is actually like large scale farming and the nutrition of the United States where. Uh, we kind of need that to to continue to happen. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. It's all right. Uh, a more immediate pressing concern in this country, sir. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I don't know. There's a few of them. What do we want to talk about? Well, we've got a couple of things. We teased buses last week. I feel like we should at least touch on buses. Yes, buses ain't bussin'. Buses are not bussin' right now. Um, this is an interesting one, and uh, I'm, I'm curious how much of our, our audience is, is connected to this issue because um, this is another this is a little bit more of an esoteric thing, and unless you are right in the middle of it, if you're in the middle of it, you're very aware of what's going on. But if you don't have kids who are school age, you may not necessarily be aware that this is such an issue. But uh, getting kids to school has become a an absolute nightmare, and it's because there is such a massive shortage of bus drivers right now in the country. And it has led some states and some counties to some pretty weird and extreme measures that have only made things infinitely fucking worse. Um, What has your experience been, sir? Well, this morning, three buses showed up at a cross section. I thought they were going to (laughs) fight. So I think it's fine. No, this was this was very interesting. Like the, the first week of school. Yeah. 
so every every year that my kid has gone to school, yeah, um, there's always been a, a bus situation because they're like, hey, the your kid's gonna ride this particular bus. He can't get on the other bus. He has to get on this particular bus, even though one's following the other, going to the same fucking school. Right. Um, but he needs to get on this bus and no other. And he needs to fill out this year. He like needs a bus pass. Yeah. I'm like, why does he need a bus pass? Like, this mm-hmm. isn't the metro. <laughs> We're not paying per ride. Uh, but I'm like, okay, fine. But if anything goes wrong with the buses, the school is like, nope, that's not us. Take it up with right. the county bus transportation. I'm like, okay. Right. That's cool. Those guys never answer the phone. Their mm-hmm. voicemail's full. That's fine. Um, but yeah, the, the school year this year started, and they were like, hey, you know, as usual, like, buses are buses, and they're going to be buses. Just, you know, try to be patient as we work out whatever kinks. Um, by the way, if you want to be a bus driver, you can apply to be a bus driver. Da, da, da. I'm like, oh, ho, ho, No. For the That's illustrious pay of awful. $10 an hour or some shit like that. Here's the thing. Kids fucking suck. They do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know your little Timmy is an angel, but uh, by and large, like they suck. A bus full of kids is is rough. Well, and I, I don't have children, so like I, I, I need please take all this with a grain of salt, and I'm sure somebody will correct me on this. But from what I understand, they do best in places of structure. Right. Where there is like a in order to the day to the and a bus just feels like a giant liminal space. Like it is perhaps the most unstructured part of their day when is is just in those transfer periods. And so I imagine that is when there is like some of the greatest potential for chicanery. Yes. And I mean, I think that's just that is part of the bus, you know, the, the bus ride experience. Like it's just. You know, because everybody's amped at the beginning of the day. They're seeing their friends on the bus and like, right. woo, woo. and then they have to be good in school for like six to eight fucking hours. And then you release them back onto the bus and they're just like, right. going home. Um, that's a generalization. But it's in my, my bus, my kid's bus, you know, the school's five minutes away. Right. Uh, you know, so they get on the bus, they're back off the bus within five to seven minutes. Yep. Depending on if someone's using the crosswalk. Uh, like, thankfully, the bus driver does not have them for a long time. Sure. I'm thinking about my my county, my bus route. Like, that bus route was an hour. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was a long time. And I never I never really thought about it as much as a kid, and I've become more aware of it now, is, like, the bus driver you have, like, the bus driver for my kid's school, he doesn't pick up that bus load, drop them off, and go home. Uh, right. Like, no, he also might have to go back out and take another route for the same school mm-hmm. or more than not, he is parking for like a minute and then he's going to go drive for the middle school or the high school. Right. Uh, like they have to do all of this. And then depending on the sick call out or your current staffing issues, they might get like transferred every which way. Um, so it's, it's does not seem like the most fun of jobs. Yeah, and uh, because, you know, the solution to everything these days is AI, um, and AI makes everything better, uh, which I, I say with tremendous irony, um, there was a, a county in Kentucky that recently attempted to solve this back-and-forth issue that you were talking about by bringing in an, a third-party consultancy who used AI to design bus routes. And... 
the AI had been used previously to design shipping routes for like FedEx and UPS. And okay. so somebody thought, well, certainly this will create more efficiencies. The thing is, is that package and cargo efficiency really doesn't equate in the same way to what bus route efficiency actually is. So they give these bus drivers routes that to, for, for what bus driving does, absolutely doesn't make sense. Um, where, you know, a, a bus would go to a neighborhood and either pick up like a pod of kids or go just down that street and, and pick the kids up as it goes along. That's not how the AI necessarily sees it. The AI just sees it as, uh, again, things need to go a certain place and we just have to have enough vehicles to get them there. So bus, buses are crossing paths. Multiple buses will show up to the same neighborhood uh, like you were, you were talking about. Um, or they're getting caught in the middle of like gridlocked rush hour traffic because of the route that they've been put on. And the drivers, well before this was rolled out, went to the school di- district and said, this will not work. It's, it's not going to work. Um, school district tried it anyway. The very first day of school, there were some children that by 10 p.m. that night had not made it home and you have hysterical parents that's a nightmare right exactly screaming at the school trying to find their children the school doesn't necessarily know where they are because they're they're new to the bus routes and they've got no idea like where on these insane spaghetti routes things have gone um like it, it was the most dystopian thing that happened in a small county in kentucky in quite some time and uh yeah this is this is a weird issue man it is weird. And when you think about uh, public education and, you know, in terms of school funding and, you know, how we're teaching our kids and stuff, you don't think about the, the how you get them there. Right. <clears throat> uh, it's such a it's such a weird like side issue almost that you're like, oh, yeah, this is a this is a problem. Right. And and there's um, there's a school of thought that what we should just be doing just to make school more accessible to everybody is going almost 100% to, to virtual learning, um, <clears throat> which I, I'm categorically opposed to. And there's actually more and more anecdotal research coming out that, that supports that this is extremely problem, problematic. One, let's ignore the fact that um, there are still massive swaths of the country that do not have broadband internet access and therefore would not be able to, to fully participate. Two... There's a really phenom- interesting phenomenon. I say interesting. It's actually it's it's actually pretty damaging. Um, uh, there's a phenomenon emerging among um, high school students who spent their last year or two of high school in pandemic when everything was closed down and they did do all virtual learning. They're going to college and they're not making friends. And the reason is is because instead of going out after class and like meeting people and interacting or hanging out with their you know their dorm mates. What they're doing instead is just getting onto their devices and hanging out with hanging out virtually with their friends from high school. So they're not developing new relationships. They're not branching out their social circles. And like one of the the, the big things about college is that it exposes you to, you know, a, a much broader swath of humanity and gives you a better understanding of just how to navigate the world in general. There, there are social skills that are learned in the college experience um, that really make a difference in, in your ability to work with lots of different kinds of people. And that's not happening because people are, are stuck in these kind of like virtual spaces. So I don't think that the, the virtual route is the answer to the busing problem. Um, 
it's semi-creative, but it's it, it doesn't actually solve the issue. No, and the in the school also the school again the like first week they're like, hey, if you can, you know, pick up and drop your kid off to school, that'll probably be great. And I'm like, have you seen that car line? Hell no. Well, exactly, and that's the thing is, it, again, the the school isn't necessarily, um, and and this is I, I was was talking with some of my. Um, uh, fellow political rank on tours uh, in in the library space about this recently. The schools are not necessarily thinking about knock on effects of the decisions they make. They are they're very reactionary right now because there's just a lot in front of them. So they're like, we just have to solve this problem. They don't think two or three steps ahead of okay, if we solve this problem this way, what happens next? Now that's partially because I think school boards have been hollowed out by political mal uh, mal actors or malcontents. malcontents. Yep. Um, but some of it is, I mean, a lot of people on school boards are, are volunteers or it's a very low paying job. They're just, they're, they're trying to make a difference in a good way for students, but they're not like thinking, you know, game theory or shit like that. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's a great idea in theory, have the parents drop the kids off because busing is, is crazy, but you don't have the infrastructure set up for that. And not only that, but you, you, that, that puts a burden on like working class parents who they rely on the transportation to get their kid to school because they have to be, uh, off like, you know, getting, getting to a job. Um, so it's again, semi-creative, like just encourage the parents to, to bring their kids functionally, not, not feasible. I think the solution is quantum teleportation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Trans- uh, Transporter technology would solve so many problems in our yes, current day today. Yes, 100% would. Oh my God, beam my kid to school. He'll still be like four seconds late. But like, <laughs> Well, we, I, I, I'm curious uh, how you solve the information paradox with uh, quantum teleportation. So I'm I, like, have you Go thought? On. Well, the information paradox being... Uh, in like the knowledge of how an object is put together, like the idea of breaking down something into its subsequent atoms and beaming it one place to another is theoretically possible. But the information on how those atoms are assembled is lost in transit. Therefore, like, how do you put it back together in the right way? No, my, my idea is more um, it's more the Star Trek technology, right? Where a Star Trek transporter, I've started to realize more and more is it's almost like a 3D printer. Okay. Where like you are deatomized, but the basically the technology it scans everything that makes you you, mm-hmm. and then you're dematerialized. I think as kids we always understood that is like you're dematerialized. All those atoms or whatever has been converted to energy and is sent yeah to the ship, okay. and then it reconstitutes you. I've started thinking more is like no, it does a complete full scan, and then you're basically blown apart, mm-hmm. and then. They take the data and rebuild you. Where's where's the raw materials coming from, Josh? Carbon. Duh. <laughs> so 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 every 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 um, uh, ship has a an onboard just bulk. This is the of- stuff they don't. This is the stuff they don't talk about in Star Trek, like the logistical minutia. <laughs> right. But, you know they have to dock because they have to dock at star bases. Right. Every so often, and ostensibly your crew gets like a shore leave or whatever, but it's also the ship needs to be resupplied. This goes back to, so actually now I have a million more questions because this also goes back to what we were discussing uh, a couple weeks ago about like the, um, 
uh, oh, was it Perseus's ship? Uh, why can't the I ship remember? Of Theseus. The ship of Theseus, right. So, like, if your body is constantly being broken down and put back together, is it really even still you anymore? I feel like that opens up so many dark uh, conspiracy. Like, I, oh, that, I actually have a hard time with this. Further, if you're being broken down and constantly put back together, doesn't that solve, uh, like, a lot of aging issues as well? Like if you're if you're being reassembled from entirely new DNA, then like radical DNA is breaking down, which is what no, causes because that's age. part of the information that has been scanned. Is it scans you at your current stage of cellular degradation, so it rebuilds you completely authentically. Um, but that's the thing; those are episodes we never got. Yeah, no. Like we, I would yeah. love the episodes where there was like you know a thirty minute delay or whatever, and then he gets rebuilt and he's like, you know, I'm, I didn't I didn't eat lunch. It's like. Yeah, you did. You ate before we left. What has happened? And I don't know how you make that into a full like forty-five minute conflict, but uh, it seems very Black Mirror. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. No, but, you I know, I, like because they 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 have food replicators on do. the ship. He's it's like, a, give me my thing, and it's basically a mini transporter. Interesting. And so you're you're applying the food replicator theory to the the larger transporter which is it's not actually it's not moving an object from one space to another it is creating an exact copy of it out of some sort of raw material that we have no idea like where where you know what I, that's what I, I think i'll need to talk to mike about it because he knows more about the star trek tech i, I love I the I, I love the idea of star trek ships having blank atoms on board i don't know how mm-hmm. you do that because technically any atom in any state composes some sort of so maybe just a ton of hydrogen that can be like fused together like they have really advanced fusion technology to create larger uh, atomic structures everybody's to create focused on any, the warp drive they're not focused on this aspect of it That's nobody's focused on like advanced in my opinion how much pressurized hydrogen do they have to literally create whatever they want this this fascinating mm-hmm. also i feel like that's part of the reason that uh uh UNSC ships are prone to just absolutely exploding because hydrogen is is remarkably unstable. It's way too much hydrogen. Yeah, it's just yeah. way too much hydrogen. That's why we can't go to hydrogen-based fueling. <laughs> Seriously. Wait, isn't that the uh, the base fuel in um, uh, Mission Space? They're talking about the, the rockets that'll take you to Mars. They're like, it's, it's liquid hydrogen. So oh, when you yeah, hear the words, so. go for launch, you're really going to want to hang on tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, though, that seems dangerous. That's fine. That's what these tests are for. That's <laughs> that's what these tests are for. <laughs> We've been having um, a talk in our house lately about um, about the f- like automotive future. Interesting. Okay. And just like what is the long term? Yeah. Like energy responsibility. Yeah. I guess. Which I, I was like, oh, this is kind of timely because I know both you and I wanted to uh, shout out a particular Republican contender. Um, is that not the right terminology? Not a shout no, out. It's, I, uh, I criticize. Don't want to we want to criticize. Criticize. That's that's closer to the mark. This slimy son of a bitch. <laughs> he got. He's following a playbook that his predecessors have set down. He he is. Um, so the the. The candidate we're talking about is Vivek Ramaswamy, um, who I, I, I this is the only credit that I'm going to give him is is this moment right now. Vivek is patently unafraid, maybe arrogantly so, maybe narcissistically so, um, but he is so unafraid 
that to his credit, he has been very willing to go into what you would call, quote unquote, like hostile territory. And he will take um, interviews, discussions, debates, absolutely anywhere. It doesn't matter if somebody asks, excuse me, asks to interview or debate him. Vivek says yes, which one sharpens his debatability, which is why he seemed to be very, um, very quick and very, uh, uh, very um, competent uh, on the debate stage uh, a couple of weeks ago. But two, it gives him a shit ton of exposure because he's just not afraid to appear anywhere. So he is suddenly everywhere. Um, and I, I have to I wish more political candidates had that level of of um, courage. Uh, if, if I'm going to give him any I don't know if it's stupid courage. Uh, again, uh, I, I think that and we'll get into it. There's a lot of problems that I have with Vivek. But uh, to his credit, he is showing up everywhere right now because he's just not afraid to. Yeah. The dude, he doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to, to do a, a political run. Uh, the no. guy is a very uh, successful businessman in all Un- the wrong ways. Unbelievably wealthy in yes, in all the pharmaceutical wealthy, and uh, did it by fucking over uh, aspects of the pharmaceutical industry. Which, by the way, um, I listened to. I think it was the New York Times podcast. Their yeah. like, profile on him, and from the sound of it, uh, we can once again thank fucking Kramer from CNBC. Oh yeah! Like once again, Jim Cramer, big yep. fuck up by Jim Cramer. Yeah, yeah, because he he. But that really, guy still has a fucking job. I know. I I I don't even know. I don't know how he was still allowed to like. It's almost like these guys did it to like spite John Stewart because like this yes. is another guy that Stewart eviscerated him. Yes, and Cramer had no defense back for it, but he still kept his fucking job after it. Right. Well, and, and, and on those lines, it's really interesting to see there have been some um, in for Vivek Ramaswamy, there have been some uh, instances recently where he has been pretty handedly taken apart by interviewers. Um, there's not many in the space that uh, that really can like hand this guy his ass. But Mehdi Hassan really took Vivek to task over um, some of his past comments and uh, some of the things that the, the stances that he has now, because what's what's becoming increasingly clear is that Vivek is very much a political wave rider um, that he sort of like puts his finger in the wind and figures out where the where things are going. And and this is what made him very successful in business as well, was he figured out like like the way that he made his money in, in business was he looked at a bunch of um, like low cost patents that were basically being ignored and he bought all of them, turned them into drugs or, or repurposed them, and then sold them back off again. Uh, but at, you know, so he just, all he did was like look for a, uh, this, this sort of gap. And um, anyway, <laughs> so his political views, though, have changed uh, as well. Like he wrote a book called Woke Inc. and uh, really talked about how despicable and deplorable um, Donald Trump is. In the last year or two, we've seen that shift where he's figured out, well, if I pandered to the Trump base, I can put myself in an advantageous political position. And he is now apparently he thinks that Donald Trump was the greatest president of the 21st century, which is laughable. Um, but uh, when you're inconsistent like that, when you're ideologically inconsistent like that, you do open yourself up for uh 
robust attack. And Mehdi Hassan picked him apart recently over some of his stances that he has um, fl- like flipped on. Uh, I think the the one that is still the most it, it was the most disgusting. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, he took a fifty thousand dollar George Soros backed uh, affirmative action scholarship in order to go to law school in the same two years that he made one point three million dollars from hedge funds that he was working for. Uh, and he has since come out and talked about how terrible affirmative action is. So go ahead with your thoughts on that one. Well, how was he awarded the fucking scholarship? He, he applied for it. Yeah, but like, yeah, how did it mm. get awarded to him? Uh, yeah, I, th- that's also an excellent question. Um, but he, again, something to his credit, he has released a lot of his tax returns so that people can see how unfucking believably wealthy he is in the two years that he would have been going through the scholarship application process. The one year he made $650,000, I think, and the next year he made over $700,000. So 1.3 pre-tax. And uh, Mehdi Hassan's point was like, you didn't need this money. Why did you apply for it? And why are you now saying that affirmative action is such a terrible thing? And um, Vivek is very slippery, and he's very good at at, uh, pivoting the conversation and saying, you know, what I really want to talk about, or why are we talking about this when we could be talking about XYZ issue? But I think it actually is important to ask these questions of these candidates because it gets to the root of their ideological consistency and just what what kind of character they actually have. And yeah. Oh, Ryan, the GOP does not care about your character. They really don't. It's a vibes thing anymore. Is like if if they are still so up Donny J's butt. Yep. Then Vivek knows exactly what he's doing, and yeah. I per per something you brought up in the past is like this can set him up for a future. Yes. Run. Yes. Because like Trump can't be president a third time. God forbid. Uh, unless well, he might change the change. rules. Yeah. <laughs> so he decides to change the rules. Um. So. If you want, if they want to keep that like populist momentum going, yeah, Vivek would seem like a likely successor at the moment. Right. That's at yeah. the moment. That that can change. That could change in like two weeks. Who knows? Um, but I I'm glad you had mentioned Vivek because I wanted to talk about him too because there was there was something he had said that I kind of my brain kind of latched onto mm-hmm. back in the in the debate where. Um, he was talking about, you know, he put in his two cents about the climate change and climate change uh, hoax. But do you remember what he said? Climate change agenda is climate a hoax. Climate change agenda is a hoax. This is him being very slippery. Very slippery, but it was it was very clever. And it gives you an insight into how they are pivoting or trying to pivot the climate change discussion. Yeah. And approach. Because it seems like now is like despite their best efforts, like so many people are going he- ahead with like you know the the electric car thing and the the alternative fuels infrastructure mm-hmm. like that stuff's going forward so they're now they need to figure out how to capitalize that on that and make that work for them while still be holding to fossil fuels i actually wanted to say something separate to this okay but that kind of risks uh inadvertently supporting this a little bit okay biden recently made a big deal about uh, some of these like carbon capture plants yeah. being built and going up. Carbon capture technology, while it's kind of cool, it is not worth it right mm. now. 
for the amount of carbon that it captures from the atmosphere, it is barely a drop in the bucket. Okay. But it sounds cool. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to like try to, to, you know, recapture this carbon and, you know, clean up the air and it's not going to, it's not going to do dick. The technology is not there. Right. These are massive projects and the, the gains off of it doesn't offset shit. And then I came across a news report this week about big oil. Oh, dear. And this is I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, because while this is this is peak, like slimy big oil. Yeah. I would also argue the merits of it. So they are investing in carbon capture technology and going forward with that. But the reason why, beyond just being good publicity, is there are so many, I guess, what are would otherwise be considered abandoned or dried up oil, oil wells. Yeah. Not because all the oil is gone. There's still oil down there, but it's trapped. And the carbon tech, carbon capture technology is going to allow them to release that oil so they can, <laughs> so they can get more oil. Yeah. So... So then uh, everything from what you just said, then this <laughs> you we're starting from the premise that uh, carbon carbon capture uh, technology does not remove that much carbon from the atmosphere. Right. Like it's it sounds really cool. But I, and, and I don't know enough about this to refute that. So I'm, I'm going off of like I'm going to take that on faith that it, it it's it's just not it, it's just not effective yet. So now we have. Oil companies that apparently, and, I, and I'm also curious about how this technology works. That the carbon carbon capture technology will allow them to access oil from wells that that they are. It's no longer maybe profitable or efficient for them to to drill from. Okay, so then what is the net carbon addition after that? Like you're you're talking about, they're using carbon capture technology which removes very little to mine something that's going to add a lot. Right. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, no, this is it, it doesn't strike me as anything even approaching uh, a potential solution. It actually seems like a massive step backwards disguised as as is so often common. The uh, oil companies trying to do something that will, quote unquote, make things a little bit better. No, this is this is this is not a win for them. This is actually pretty disgusting. And I'm, I'm betting that they've read the tea leaves on it. And they're like, well, it doesn't really fucking matter, right? Like, it'll look like we're doing something good, but it, it still will have almost zero impact. Agreed. They, I mean, they're just, they're on board because it allows them to literally go back and squeeze truly every last drop out of. But in a world where there's so much attention and political criticism on any sort of, like, leasing of new right. oil fields and drilling things... Uh, this gives big oil a chance to still make their money by going back to these old fields. I am on board with the idea of rather than destroy another fucking place, finish destroying what you've already destroyed. Hmm. It is truly a, like what is the lesser evil type of argument? I think the lesser evil is just shut them down. (laughs) Right. But our, I mean, our globe can't survive off you know without fossil fuels like that's just the reality right now well, it can't a lot of a, a lot of transportation would need to, to change very fundamentally very very it's quickly not just transportation dude where does plastic come from yeah I, well plastic is also what's destroying oceans 
No, I know. Plastic's destroying everything. Yes. I'm, but I, I am <laughs> yeah, saying, yes. if you sh- completely shut down oil production and refinement, like, we would be so fucking screwed because there is not an infrastructure, there's not been a sufficient advancement in technology for us to pivot to something else. And when we were having, like, when my wife and I were discussing cars yeah, um, and having to talk about... Uh, is it financially responsible to go ahead and like invest in a Tesla mm. or go get like a, a ten thousand dollar, well, probably like fifteen thousand dollar, like traditional vehicle? Um, don't don't know, get a Tesla. Down. Don't don't support Elon Musk. It's uh yeah yeah <laughs> we had a big talk about that too where we're like, I mean Teslas for a long time they were like yeah they were the the flagship in electric vehicles right. but if you broke down the specs on them for a long time it was like. They're kind of shitty. They're they like s- still kind of are shitty, but because they've lowered the price point on them, yeah. like it's almost more equitable. I think it's I, I think um, like a Ford electric vehicle, which still uses the Tesla charger, which means that you still have access to Tesla's um, like uh, charging infrastructure around the country, um, which I will give them a little bit of credit for. Uh, but you're not directly you can you can get a Ford and not directly put money in Elon's pocket. Oh, so you're saying don't buy a Tesla car, but buy the Tesla charging port. How does that make sense? Because it's not the fucking vehicle. <laughs> but it's still the company. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's So the, uh, Ford, um, it, their their chargers are not compatible with Tesla charging ports, right? So if Because that's the thing is the most common charging port across the United States right now is Tesla. Right. Um, right, exactly. So you buy uh, a Ford constructed by UAW member employees um, and... It gives you access to the that charging infrastructure, which we've discussed before. The United States, in terms of um, making the switch to electric vehicles, is woefully unprepared for uh, what what we would need in, in terms of charging infrastructure. That's we, we've had that discussion. We can come back to it. It's just, um, but you're you're not buying the vehicle that goes directly to Elon. If anything, you're picking his pocket because you're using their electricity. No, but I'm saying you're. you're- giving Tesla money to buy the charging port. You're not buying a charging port. You have to put a charging port in your home if you are getting an electric vehicle. Right, Right, exactly. Ford has their own charging ports. I'm saying that their vehicles are compatible with the Tesla charging port as well. Oh, okay. So at home, you can have the Ford charging port. If you're out and about and there's a Tesla charging station, you can use that. And most electric vehicles can be plugged into like a high-voltage wall... um, Wall plug, like they require a very specific kind like of plug the to. The oven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, it's it's not as much of like an infrastructure change in your own home as as I think a lot of people think it is. Like, you can kind of plug them into the wall. Um, it's just that the the actual uh, charger that goes into the vehicle itself is is what you need to be careful about. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, we were having the talk because it's like, what is the more, not just like sustainable, but what what is the more, um. I guess ethical yeah. purchase because it's then it's like you know you don't need gas you don't need to have oil changes right. you don't need to have that it's like yep. yes but you do need a battery every so many years and which is one hugely expensive but two going back to the the point that I initially wanted to make on this is um, the increase in demand for electric vehicles and the like is going to create. In, an increased environmental damage as we pivot from 
drilling for coal and oil to now looking for lithium and cadmium and cobalt. So, so one, let's again, because uh, uh, I, I said shut down oil companies, which sounds ridiculously naive and non-serious of me. But if I'm thinking transformationally, that's that's what I want to do. All right. So if we talk truly on the merits of this for a moment, um, lithium, cadmium, cobalt, all of those things. Yes, we we have to mine for those right now. And we you and I have even discussed on on this podcast like it is it is not ideal the conditions it's it's actually quite inhumane the conditions that a lot of these things are mined under right now because they're typically mined in third world countries and uh it's those conditions are are fucking awful for those people so that's that is a problem that needs to get solved but second you talk about needing a new battery every uh every few years um i don't think i don't think it's that often but the the components of uh the batteries in electric vehicles are nearly 100% recyclable, which means that once we reach a critical mass, as long as we are recycling them appropriately, the batteries can be recycled and, and replaced. So then you don't need to rely as much on mining. It's a, it's a problem that gets smaller the more electric vehicles are in the marketplace because of that recycling technology. That's one of the major advantages to these vehicles is that their batteries... But on on a component nature are nearly one hundred percent recyclable, whereas fossil fuel just burns. I think that's probably going to come down to uh, patents and uh, corporate monopolies, right? Which is which is a huge, huge problem. I was just listening to something recently about like the the monopolies that um, drug companies hold uh, on, um, uh, on on new medications and how they will intentionally withhold better versions of new medications in order to let one that's in the marketplace that still has a lot of drive on it. You listen to that episode about Gilead? Yeah, yeah. That's Any, no, that's exactly what I'm thinking of here. It's yeah. like you apply it to, uh, to and, technology, and that that's what's that hamstrings progress and the, it, the drug thing is a perfect easy example it, it no but it, it but it does and that's why i don't think any one of these companies should like tesla especially i'm so tired of people talking about how tesla is like changing the world like to their credit again and, and to elon musk credit he did affect a major change in the electric vehicle market and made it feel a little bit more accessible made it feel a little bit more possible I'm, i don't want to i'm not going to take that away from him but their proprietary nature and the way that they have their technology so locked down, if you really wanted to do right by the planet, planet, you wanted the whole world to just be a better place, you would not be so litigious about this technology. And we are we are living in an era where I, I, I think that the antitrust case that's coming against Google right now that's in the courts will be a very interesting to watch because um, I think it's going to pave the road for uh, how some of these tech companies are treated going forward. And uh, we don't live in a competitive landscape. And if we did, I might have less hate towards late-stage capitalism, but late I mean, frankly, late-stage capitalism is a complete loss of, of competition in, in the marketplace. And, and things discussions like this, like the, the advancement of electric vehicles actually depending on who monopolizes the technology or chooses to let it out, like that's late stage capitalism. I was I was looking up a like a list of just like I'm like, what is like what are the, the top rated like electric vehicles on the market right now? Yeah. Isn't it like and, the Leaf one of them, surprisingly? <laughs> the Leaf was not on the list that I looked at. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, 
but what what really hammered it home for me is like these cars are fucking expensive. Yep, they're just. I mean, I mean, cars in general are expensive right now. Everything's ex- expensive. Like shit sucks. Inflation is awful. Right. Uh, but electric vehicles are just so expensive. But I found which one I want. Okay. The Lucid. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a beautiful car. Like I saw, I first saw that as a Hot Wheel in the store, and I almost bought it. Uh, <laughs> going back to our Hot Wheels conversation, um, but it's a. I think that car is what Tesla wishes it was. Okay. Or I think how people like looked at Tesla when it was first being developed. Yeah. Um, I also think I think it grates me extra hard that the company is called Tesla named after Nikola Tesla, who was someone who developed these technologies not for profit. Right. Like, he was like, these are wild, crazy ideas that will change human life. Yes. And Edison was like, money, money, money. Edison was not the... And, and I love that people... I'm, I'm actually more and more on board with this because I, I'm like, you know what? Maybe he is the Edison of our time. People keep talking about... Uh, uh, Elon Musk being the Thomas Edison of our time. And I'm, I'm, I'm now feeling like, you know what, maybe that is apt because like Edison is not the, the technological hero that we, we think he, he was, he's, he's a shrewd businessman. He, he was how a, to yep. snap up patents. Exactly. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Esalen. He, uh, from Edison, he was, he was transformative, but uh, yep. give him his due credit, not undue credit. No, agree. Yes. Tesla Tesla gave us AC current. Okay. (laughs) Edison was like, nah, direct current's the way to go. If we had stuck with direct current, we'd be fucked. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying. Little history nugget for you nerds. Little yeah. Uh, by the way, I I'm, I just did a quick search and I'm, I'm comparing search results because Google is legitimately getting worse and worse at its search results. But I'm just comparing um, search results right now for top rank. Uh, um, electric vehicles uh, in the market right now the nissan leaf is showing up in every one of these like i and this is like it's not always it's not number one the the hyundai uh, ionic appears to be like uh, apparently one of the the absolute best electric vehicles but the leaf keeps popping up it's always top 10 you know what else i didn't see on my list what's that that fucking mustang so that's because it often appears under top electric suvs and not uh, electric well, cars. I know it looks more like an SUV. So. It, it's because it is. It's it's an SUV. No, I I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Mustang uh, should not be an SUV. No, I I agree. It shouldn't be. It should not be named uh, uh, Palomino or something. I don't give a shit. Yeah, there that. there you go. That's I could be on board for that. The the Ford Palomino. The Ford Palomino. That actually sounds pretty good. Right. I, I, I'd I'd be on board with that. Um. We've gotten way away from Vivek Ramaswamy, and uh, well, no, the the reason I wanted to mention Vivek though was to talk about being mindful of how the climate change and fighting climate change uh, conversation is going to be looking like moving forward. And I think, I think one of the mistakes is too much focus on combating climate change. Okay, and that's because our technology isn't there. That, and that's what I'm saying with like the carbon capture is like one of those things is like this will fight common ch- climate change is right. like, no, we need to adapt to it. And part of that will be taking measures to combat it. But it's also going to be about really changing our infrastructure. Well, and, and and like our carbon capture technology is not that advanced. Do you know what is a a 
super advanced form of carbon capture technology that's been around for a very long time. Running? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just run everywhere? Trees. Like, sure. Do you know, have you ever heard of the, like, the mini ice age that North America went through in um, the early 1600s? Yeah. Do you know what caused it? I bet you're going to tell me it's trees. Yeah. So... Um, human interaction uh, with the landscape is like whether you want to talk about like the big smokestacks billowing smoke into the uh, into the air, um, you know, we, separate discussion. Humanity in general, uh, our impact on climate um, is that we exhale carbon, right? We put carbon into the atmosphere. Trees love carbon. They Tree, love they, carbon dioxide. They eat they, that shit they do, but the more humans there are in a space the more that they're exhaling carbon the, the warmer that area is going to get so early 1600s uh the european settlers come over to um what is now the united states and what happens they kill off a bunch of native people through disease and uh and all of that right well the native people that were already here had in many ways like they they were settled they tamed the land they had their own you know uh farmlands in, in that so when they were removed from nature because the Europeans killed them all off. Um, nature had a chance to come back and take some of those areas back over. And so what happened is over a period of decades, because these native people were, were gone and um, Europeans hadn't expanded uh, as far west, is suddenly nature takes the, these, these places back. Trees, plants, all this grow. They start sucking carbon out of the, uh, the atmosphere that was in that, that area. And we have a general cooling trend for a short period because they're just there were just more plants than there were human beings. And I know there's a very green, crunchy, granola, hippie bullshit thing for me to say is, you know, we just need more trees, man. But honestly, we kind of just need more trees. <laughs> well, and it's it's <laughs> the so people have been saying that for a long time. And I think the only caveat I, I would put on that is like it's not as simple as going to go plant a tree, uh, you know, or going to go plant a tree, you know. A, 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 a copse, a grove, mm-hmm. a forest. Like you need to study that area and figure out what would go there, what would thrive. Okay. You can't just be like, oh, there were some oak trees here. Um, because so you end up risking like biological sterilization. Um, but that so- sounds like a, a more solvable problem than getting the entire world to switch off of oil technology, which you have basically said is impossible at, at this point. So I, I would proffer that, all right, well, let's maybe, you know, have a study session, you know, for a month or two to figure out where we could put more trees and start putting trees there. That no, seems and I, I think that would be to, great. Right. And there are there have been some initiatives uh, there were they were stronger prior to the pandemic. But right. there were some strong initiatives towards doing that. And you have a lot of companies now that are starting to revisit their whole like net zero. Right. Uh, carbon initiatives, which. I still say is largely I think that's marketing hokum. bullshit. Yeah. Um but it it would be a step in a and good so direction. that's right there. That's my point. So um the, the the climate change thing seems so nebulous and existential that I think a lot of people just get to the point of it's like, well, we could do this, but uh like you said, you know, it's well, you got to figure out what kind of trees it would go there, so I I don't know. Like I think people get locked in this sort of like this paralysis of it seems so huge, like 
what could possibly be done other than switching the lights off uh, at, at the oil companies. Um, which I, again, as a, a little bit of a radical, I would argue that's probably what we should do and we will figure it out. Humanity always figures it out. Um, but putting that aside, that's like passively aggressively, like optimistic of you. I know. You're like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I know. <laughs> Don't worry. We've got this. We, we, we will figure it out. Humanity doesn't just roll over and die. That's my point. Um, but I think solvable problems, right? Like, all right, we know that putting more trees in the ground literally removes carbon from the atmosphere. So at at mass, where are places that we can put trees in the ground? Study the, the biodiversity of the area, figure out what goes there and just fucking do it. Like this, this is a, it, it's a, it's an, much like the, the gun crisis in the United States, um, which I would also argue is at a point where it's very nebulous and existential. There is so much of a defeatist attitude because people like they they don't see the small steps as actually contributing towards the larger problem. They're like, oh, it's such a little step. Like, what good is it going to do? Well, the answer is it's going to do some good. So maybe do some good and step by step we get there. Now, that is an incrementalist approach. And again, I am not really on board with an incrementalist approach. But if that's all we can get people on board for, then let's incrementally start to do things that make the world better because if we just do nothing, we are on a path of self-destruction. And that's that's fact. Like we we will we will make this planet completely uninhabitable in very short order because it is the problem is actually getting exponentially worse, which is why I don't argue often for incremental change. But I'm saying if that's what it takes to get people's head around this issue, fine, we'll do some incremental things first. And this is why the whales are pissed. Right. Cuz they are like it's hot as shit. It is. We, we get these just... boats out of here. I'm sorry for all the swearing this episode, by the way, listeners. Yeah, I know. I have, I have had a mouth today. It's it's all good. Um, no, it, 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 you say it's hot as shit. Like, this is this is a startling statistic. And this is something this, this is something. Is this for a real statistic? Walk. It is a real statistic. Okay. No, it, this is a real statistic. Um, we have just lived through the hottest summer on record since we've... It right. will likely be the coolest summer we ever experience again. Right. Think about that. This is the hottest summer we've ever had. It will likely be the coolest we will ever have again. It will only get worse. Unless we plant more trees. Or we can get a volcano to do like an epic eruption and the ash cloud like blocks out the sun for a little bit. As a closing piece, can I tie that back to our Scotland discussion earlier? Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, (laughs) uh, scotch, scotch whiskey, right? Yeah, it's delicious. It is literally 10,000 years in the making and here's why. Um, about 10,000 years ago, Scotland used to be a very green, lush place. They had their own kind of like native people there, um, you know, hunter-gatherers, farmers, all that. Iceland had a massive, massive uh, volcanic eruption that blasted ash and smoke and, and all that crap into the atmosphere. And it covered Scotland for years and killed everything. It was so bad that the people of Scotland left the whole the whole region was largely abandoned for quite some time. And what happened in the the decades afterwards and the the century or so afterwards as that uh, smoke and, and ash cloud dissipated and sunlight reached the island again, or not the island, the the region again, uh, the only thing that was able to grow anymore were like these low-lying shrubs and kind of thick heathery brush. 
and that's when like the Highland cows came into the area, the big shaggy ones and, and people return to the area and they find new ways to kind of make a living in this hard scrabble land. But one of the things that was left behind was peat, P-E-A-T, peat, right? So like peat moss and, and that heavy, like charred woody peat. Peat is what is smoked during the distillation process of scotch in order to give it its very unique smoky flavor. So when you drink scotch and you're, you're tasting it, not only are you tasting like a 10-year distillation process, you're actually tasting the remnants of a volcanic eruption that happened like 10,000 years ago. Hell yeah, I'm drinking Isn't that cool? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's volcano juice. <laughs> you want to know why Scots are so hot-blooded? They drink volcanoes all the time. <laughs> they're, drinking, they're just like knocking back volcano juice left and right. Left and right, yes. <laughs> well, I, th- I think scotch is a much better marketing label than volcano juice. Volcano juice? Give me your finest volcano juice. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine like in the high society clubs people ordering a volcano juice. No, but the hipsters will. The hipsters would. That's true. Yeah. That's true. The hipsters absolutely would. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, in the 1800s, you had like a mini ice age yeah. in the 1800s. And that was also thanks to a volcanic eruption mm-hmm. in Malaysia, I think yeah. it was. Um, yeah. Which is clear across the world from here. Goodness. I know. Completely other side of the planet. But that's, I mean, that's the, the I mean, again, one of the, the arguments about climate change is how what goes on in China impacts the U.S. And if China isn't doing its, you know, fair best to affect this, then what good is it that the U.S. does anything? And I, I just think it's a completely defeatist think, attitude. We can't yep. think like that. It's a completely <laughs> defeatist oh, well, attitude. Do, 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 Timmy didn't do it. I don't give a fuck about Timmy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. It's like, all right, fine. So China's not, you know, uh, it's not shouldering their burden in this fight. That doesn't mean the rest of us can't fight on or shouldn't fight on. No, but it's a great excuse not to. It is a good excuse not to like, for the people oh, who... Oh, no. That's, what can you do? Yep. Counting my monies. And that's that's what these that's what these companies are doing. They're just counting their monies. And my God. My God. My God. So. Well, I, I guess that's uh, where we'll leave it. Yeah. Yeah. We had other things we were going to talk about, but uh, got hopelessly derailed. Yeah, we'll get to him. You know what, though? And this is probably, like, going to curse us. It has... I feel like it's been another just kind of slower news week, news weekend. Like, it it sort of depends on what you're tied into, but, like, just not as much national is happening right now. Yeah, I mean, on the the world stage, there was a devastating earthquake in Morocco. That's a very good Um, point. Yeah, it's... That's that's a very good point. We don't don't talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, is I would like to address more... International. Global... Yeah. topics because there are things happening around the world that we should care about and I actually yeah. would like to try to do a little work and really talk about Africa because okay. there is so much shit going on in Africa right now yeah that matters on a global level yep a lot of what you were just talking about as far as like the um cobalt lithium all that mining a lot of it happens in Africa mm-hmm. a lot of it happens there yeah where we're I, I'm worried where we're trying to enter a new age of African colonialism. Uh, I, it's, as we were like, oh, there's there's more shit here we could use. Hey, I, I mean, it, the the era of American imperialism seems to be fading, but I feel like that is only until we try and exactly what you just said, like find a way to subsidize Africa, and um, God help us, we ever go back down that route. We're trying to. 
I know. to because it's, China it's, already is. It's and, fucking ugly. Yeah. Like I said, it's a whole big thing. Where uh, is Wakanda? I like Wakanda needs to start like muscling back against these. I'm starting to think Wakanda doesn't exist. I thought this was a biopic and uh Yeah, I I did too and I have not yet seen King Takala uh make any kind of uh, outcry over these things and I'm T'Challa. T'Challa. Yes. Uh I I'm, I'm sorry. Read more comic books, sir. I I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> Read more comics, some of which are available at your local library. Well, maybe not yours, but my local library. Yeah, I don't think that they're allowed in my local libraries. Uh, I'm pretty sure they constitute um, thought crime. So we'll We'll have to get into that in a future episode because there is some shit going on. uh, Now, there have been some victories in Florida recently, but y'all keep doing shit that is not okay when it comes to the book banning. I am not a y'all, okay? I am Uh, not a y'all. You you live there. You put Ron DeSantis in <laughs> your state put him into office that that motherfucker we don't uh, have time for this Ryan. we don't we don't have no. time for this today not right now but i i do want to um real quickly uh, just uh, on a hopeful note public pressure works if you are not okay with the 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 things that are going on in your local county your uh your at your schools at your uh libraries if you're not okay with um books being banned um public pressure works it recently worked in um palm beach county they're returning books to k through three classrooms acknowledging that they like misinterpreted uh the law or or took a radical interpretation of it public pressure works speak out let yourself be heard that is your american right yes do it speak loud and that's why we started a podcast really is because we want to speak out speak loud and (laughs) yeah I love it. That's that, I don't that, need therapy. It is it, it is our it is our right as Americans to have a a, uh, a completely mediocre podcast that hundred <laughs> percent mediocre. <laughs> Look one one day we're gonna have to do a cinema episode about our own podcast. <laughs> like we review our podcast. <laughs> we'll review our podcast. What were these so. guys thinking when what they were, were they? pivoted to this? Like <laughs> the lack of transition uh, between topics was really jarring. <laughs> And it took me out of the podcast. It took me out of the podcast for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Guys, as always, we want to know what you think. Yeah. Uh, Leave us a like, comment on something. Uh, We have a Facebook page, a Twitter handle, Mm -hmm. Morning Radio TBD. Uh, You can also leave a review under any of the podcast platforms, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, like wherever you're getting it. Most of them have a comment section. Yep. Like, comment, subscribe, any of that really, really helps us out. We truly and sincerely appreciate it. I have been trying to put more um, questions and polls into each episode, and sometimes they're a little rigged, um, so I can't, I can't, you know, you know, uh, necessarily stand up for the veracity of the polls that I've created, but <laughs> have fun with us, interact. Um, treat, treat the comment section like a bathroom stall, guys. Like, yeah, just go Seriously. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's all at this point. We'll, we'll take any of it. So yeah, we need the interaction. We're very lonely. We're we're very lonely, and we will respond. And we will. And 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 we'll we'll have a good time with it. So yeah. So on that note, thank you for listening. We'll see you yep. next week. We'll see you next week.